3: as we welcome you along to the programme John Paul already taking calls this morning 1850 333103 anything you want to share with us we'd love to hear from you you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103103 103. and already getting calls in about the semi-final for the Eurovision Song Contest in Rotterdam's Ahoy Stadium last night and of course Ireland took to the stage with Leslie Roy she was 7th on stage uh, and gave I mean everybody accepts was a very 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 energetic performance of her song Maps but unfortunately it wasn't enough and she wasn't one of the 10 songs that were p- picked out of the 16 entries to make it through to the grand final on Saturday which is hugely disappointing I think for for herself, Leslie, and indeed uh, for all of us, because while uh, it won't deter- it won't stop me watching the Eurovision on Saturday night, but it 's never the same when your own country isn 't in it in the final and I was really hoping that we would get through to the final because it is this is the year that we 're celebrating twenty five years since we last won the Eurovision, and our last win of course was that beautiful haunting song from Emer Quinn, the voice, so I was hoping upon hoping that uh, Leslie would make it through but uh, she didn't. And You know, I liked the song. I know, I can already see this morning some commentary coming in. Some people are critical of the uh, song. Uh, Johnny was on to us earlier by email. He reckons we should go back to the old way. Remember the national song contest where so many songs went in and then the country decides the people vote on the song that gets uh, selected which I take from that. Johnny wasn't happy with the song. Stephen has already been on saying I think Ireland should pull out i of the Eurovision Song Contest for the next number of years it's become more about politics it's all about the block voting he agrees with Johnny we also need a national song contest and let the public pick the winner our song this year was good but the trees and the cut out on the stage and the stage setting just didn't suit Leslie. Ireland needs to change its stance on this leave Eurovision for a few years the music seems to have become a little bit of a side show I will remind you though, Johnny, if you say just let the public decide I think the last time the public fully decided we sent Dustin the turkey and a lot of people got involved in voting who see Eurovision Song Contest as nothing but a joke and that's what happened and some would say the Eurovision the real purest Eurovision fans have never forgiven Ireland for sending a song that was a send up of the Song Contest with uh, Dustin and uh, we didn't qualify that year either either. Surprise, surprise. So I don't know if leaving it back in to the public is the way to go or not. But as I say, I don't think it was the song. I do think it was a good song. I think she's a great singer. I, my personal criticism of it, and we're going to have Johnny our Eurovision song, our Eurovision correspondent on uh, later on the programme. I'm interested in his thoughts on it as well. I, I thought the staging Uh, while they were trying to be clever with the staging there was too much going on and she was actually running on a treadmill throughout the majority of the song until she left that back part and ran out and then had to run out onto the front of the stage and run across the stage. I think that made her a little bit out of breath and then she had to concentrate on where her arm had to go and what piece of tree which she meant to move out of the way and then she was meant to flick this, this, that way and then her head had to go this way and she had to do so much concentration on that. I think it took from her singing and to me at times I thought she sounded a bit screechy and it didn't do justice to what is a good song because I have seen her perform that song live. I have obviously heard it as the recording, we played it out yesterday and it is a good song. And I just wonder, will she look back and reflect and think the stage setting, and I don't know who is responsible uh, for that. It was the Irish delegation, so I'm assuming that she was involved in it. Will they regret the way that they actually staged it? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people thought the staging was perfect. I know I had seen an interview with her where she was quite excited about the staging and had sort of made the point there would be nothing else like it on the night. And I think she thought because of that, it would help the song to stand out. But. I mean as I say it's just me maybe I'm wrong Uh, your thoughts welcome you can agree or disagree with me did it take from her singing then and therefore she didn't give the best vocal performance of the song and remember when we all sat down to watch the Eurovision last night. For the majority of people, it's their first time seeing the song. Now, I mean, if you're a fan of Eurovision, people will have been watching the songs online. And, you know, many people, many of the purists will know all of the songs. But for the majority of people, you get you see the song once you get one shot at it. And now I know they keep doing the reprieve at the end of the night to help you make your mind up if you are going to vote in it. But I just wonder how was it received for people watching that song for the first time your thoughts uh, welcomed on that now she said that I saw her afterwards on social media and she said she was very grateful for for being for taking part in the contest and she said it was a memorable eurovision experience and uh, she was you know she seemed to be quite happy with her. Performance and the elaborate backdrop of these moving paper uh, cutouts. And it certainly was met with rapturous applause by the live audience. So probably if you were there inside in the arena, it probably looked quite uh, stunning. So 10 countries qualified. And listen, while, you know, we're upset that she didn't make it through. There was some really good songs made it through and the one that I had asked people to look out for is the Maltese entry. She was the very last girl on stage. I I still look at her and cannot believe that that voice is coming out of an 18 year old girl. She has such a powerful voice and destiny. I think we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot more of her. I think she has all of the qualities to become a great big international uh, star. I mean she's up there voice quality wise with the likes of Beyonce and Tina Turner I mean she was just amazing and I liked the song and I thought the staging of it uh, was all was nice there was a little bit of quirkiness to it and her dancers in the background I to me that's the one that's the one I tipped yesterday and having watched the first semi-final I'm still tipping Malta uh, for the win already a comment in from Michael who said how the first song managed to get through last night is baffling Michael that was the Lithuanian entry Michael felt it was a rubbish song. If there was a song contest for useless songs, that would definitely be there. That was the guy The guy dressed in yellow and on his back room da- dances were yellow. Isn't it funny? People's Taste in Music. I didn't think that was the worst song of the night. I wasn't surprised to see that one get through Michael, but our Michael and Barry Rowe not a fan of the Lithuanian uh, song. and says Patricia it's a shame that Leslie didn't get through to the final last night. When I saw the list of countries with us in the semi-final I knew she wouldn't get through. Politics does come into it. Yeah unfortunately we were in a side of the draw that had all of the Eastern European countries and we know by their nature that the Eastern European countries all vote for each other. They all It's kind of in the neighbours. They all vote for the neighbours and that happens all the time. Time and I, you know, I don't know. Will, will we get away? Uh, will we get away? But then, having said that, Malta isn't an Eastern Bloc country, and they got through. So did Belgium, and so did Sweden, and so d- so did uh, Cyprus. Azerbaijan. A lot of people like that song. Ukraine and Lithuanian were the t three of the Eastern European countries that got through last night. Anyway, your thoughts are welcomed on that, and we will discuss it more on the program. As I say, Johnny will be joining us uh, a little bit later on, and the very latest on the cyber. Attack, uh, And this is the big worry. And I know Eamon Ryan, the communications manager, is out this morning saying deeply regrettable if medical and personal patient information, and hospital correspondence stolen by the hackers is being shared on uh, line. And it is looking like uh, there has been, according to the Financial Times, there's been a release of medical uh, records uh, and this is where it is really going to get very problematic and very worrisome for ordinary people. If their files are suddenly released or suddenly they're going to start hearing from hackers who have all of their very, very personal uh, uh, details. Uh, the government have, according to the Irish Independent uh, today, there's been no direct contact from the gang Since they they breached the health service last week, the government, they are repeatedly saying that they will not pay any ransom and they also are refusing to engage with the online criminals. There's a number of sources saying this has effectively led now to a standoff between the government and those that are involved in the ransomware attack. Officials believe the hackers will now ramp up their efforts and they're now bracing for the stolen data to be leaked and dripped Fed over in batches over the next few days onto the dark web. I mean, as we mentioned yesterday, the guardy suspect that it's this Russian-based cyber gang who are known as Wizard Spider, who are responsible for the attack and they work out of Petersburg in Russia. Security sources also suspect that components of this gang were involved in a recent unsuccessful cyber attack on the Department of Social Protection, but they managed to stop that one, thank God. Authorities are resisting contacting the cyber terrorists while work is underway to repair the damage That's been caused to the HSC's data network and one source saying if you engage with them, then you're showing your hand and you're also burning time that could be used to get the health service up and running. The criminals, they're financially motivated. They've carried out more than 100 tax worldwide. In the uh, And in the past have used similar methods to try to increase the pressure on their targets by leaking some of the information online. The hackers also use specific sites on the dark net to dump the stolen data. And these obviously are now being closely monitored by specialist the Wizard Spider are under investigation from several different security agencies, including the FBI in the States over a spate of cyber attacks on healthcare facilities in America last year. And the fallout now is beginning to be felt. Uh, firstly, there is criticism of the government that they haven't spent enough money on this, the this cybersecurity agency, which leads the response two ransomware uh, attacks. The Taoiseach Miho Martin and the Minister of Communications Eamon Ryan out yesterday saying that the National Cyber Security Centre had, had their... The finance and the budget there trebled this year and funding was at 5.1 million. But according to the Irish Times today, they say that investment amounted to less than 14 million euro, not including payroll costs. And that's over the past decade. And that simply is not enough money. The HSC are saying restoration of the computer systems will take many weeks. Uh, Following the attack, the complete rebuilding of the computer network could actually take several months, according to some sources. Hospital and other services have been asked to plan for operating essential services without contingency arrangements. And they've been asked to do that for the next uh, two weeks. And of course, the knock on effect now is that thousands upon thousands of patients have had outpatient clinic appointments, scans and procedures all cancelled again today as the hospitals are the stricken hospitals are faced with paralysed computers and they're simply, they're back to the old days they're resorting to pen and paper to record patients' details with all of the medical records locked away on their computers. They can't get into the computers. It emerged yesterday for example that GPs have been asked to defer cervical screening appointments which have been booked for this week in a letter to GPs. They were asked to contact patients with appointments and to cancel them and defer them to a later date. So there's this uh, vital screening tests being affected by it. The HSE said yesterday that the cyber attack is continuing to have a particularly serious impact on radiotherapy for cancer patients with medical staff unable to access detailed individual treatment plans. It's now working to try to find solutions to continue the treatment with these patients and including they're looking at moving them over to private hospitals and having their care done there instead. But shocking to think that cancer patients are being affected. Blood tests and diagnostic services are all taking much longer to operate than usual they now have to use a manual process and that obviously is increasing the turning around time for patients. Now Ireland's 28 emergency departments and all of the 11 injury units, all of them remain open, but the HRC are saying it's vitally important that it's understood that there has, they have been seriously impacted by the cyber attack and people attending emergency departments should bring any medical documentation they might have with them, including if they have a medical record number of a of a patient' chart number so that when you get into the hospital that they may be able to access your files that way they're also saying if you are going into any of the ed departments that there are long delays if you are attending any hospitals today phones are also affected and people are saying should only should shouldn't call except in an emergency and I know yesterday we heard from a number of people who were saying that they had had great difficulties trying to get through by phone so the phone lines are also extremely busy as well and we had an email in from uh, Kevin Quaid the wonderful Kevin Quaid and the great work that he does for dementia uh, patients and Kevin has been on uh, to asking us could we announce that there won't be a dementia cafe in Cantor this month because of that cyber attack on the HSC they're unfortunately not going to be able to use their Zoom uh, calls they're hoping that they will be back up and running next month in June they run their uh, dementia cafe in Canterbury. gets run on the third Thursday of every month and since the pandemic they've managed to go online and to do it over Zoom but unfortunately now that's something else that has had to be cancelled due to the cyber attack. Thank you to Kevin uh, for that and uh, Kevin we hope that you are keeping well. Some of your text, a lot of texts coming in about the Eurovision song contest first semi-final last night and Leslie Roy singing Maps for Ireland didn't get through John in Blackpool good morning to you John I agree with you Patricia the staging was too distracting that's the good word to use the song was much better when you played it on your programme yesterday that was the recorded version of it someone else says the staging I felt was quite amateurish she looked better singing on the roof of the Late Late Show and that was a fine performance on the roof of the Late Late Show Uh, Liam says Patricia with regards to the semi final. Last night, people need to understand the Eurovision community have lost all respect for Ireland. When we had a turkey representing our country a number of years ago, we made a laughing stock of our country and a joke of the song contest. And for that, we have not been forgiven, and we won't be forgiven. No one to blame but ourselves. It's time to pull out now and stop any further embarrassment. Says Lean. You're not the first one to say that, Lean. That should we just leave the Eurovision song contest and then let them have it, and we wouldn't even show it anymore. And we wouldn't even take part. Is that people's feelings on it? Uh, Mara says, yes, absolutely. Politics has got a lot to do with it when it comes to the Eastern Bloc countries but we have many people from those Eastern Bloc countries living in this country. you think that they'd be ringing home because you can't vote for yourself. you think they'd be ringing home asking them to please vote for Ireland and Mary says, yes you're right Patricia, the stage setting last night I felt was not suitable. You could hardly hear Leslie sing. I'd say if she just stood and sang the song with less effects it would actually have been better but at the end of the day other participants last night was 10 other songs, says Mary, that were better than Ireland and hence she didn't get through. Thank you for that. As I say, we'll be talking with Johnny a little bit later on. And can anybody... Uh, Answer this for me, please, because I don't know the answer. This one says, "Hi, Patricia, uh, from the West Cork listener. Had my first Pfizer vaccine yesterday. Delighted. Oh, I know that feeling. It is uh, terrific. Uh, but could you please tell me, the Johnson Johnson vaccine has that been rolled out to anybody in West Cork yet? Are indeed." Anywhere in Cork, has anybody received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? I certainly haven't heard of anybody here in Cork getting it at any of the vaccination centres. And certainly for many of our listeners, it's been all either AstraZeneca or Pfizer that people have been getting. The Johnson & Johnson, the early rollout I know was given out in Dublin and they went around to the homeless community because it's a one dose shot and they were giving it out to them. I don't know if we have that much Johnson & Johnson vaccine in this country available to be administered to people because everything that I've read about Johnson & Johnson, there was a delay with getting the vaccine to individual countries and it's June. I think we're expecting something like 200,000 doses of Johnson & Johnson but they're not due to come on stream until June. So I don't think that there's any Johnson & Johnson. No, I could be wrong. So does anybody, has anybody listening to us who's been vaccinated receive Johnson Johnson? Johnson & Johnson or did you hear of somebody here in Cork who has received a J&J vaccine jab 1850 Now it should be a time of great optimism for restaurants and the hospitality outlets as the countdown to reopening approaches but many in the sector say they now face a new problem of staff shortages and difficulties rehiring Sharing his concerns Mike Ryan of Cockbull and Corn Store on Corn Market Street who is also chair of the restaurant Cork Chair of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Mike. Good
4: morning, Patricia. And you,
3: I'm very well and, and you're welcome. Because your industry was closed for so long, Mike, have some staff just actually left the sector and got employment elsewhere? I mean is that one problem you're facing?
5: That's that's one factor because I suppose the uncertainty of where we opened, where we closed, and you had other industries that were recruiting um, through the whole pandemic, uh, maybe uh, part, different parts of retail sector, as in the shop, uh, supermarkets and stuff. Also, you had the tech companies uh, which were flying exporting, so they were they, they've taken on a lot of people that um, would be upskilled into working on, on, on the tech side of things and call centers. A lot of people, we had a lot of people that were working with us for years, who would come to the con- uh, to to Ireland and not had. A great grasp of the English language, mm-hmm. but then while well, they were taken, then they were ideal recruits because they had they they had improved their English over the years, and they've gone then to call centres because they would have their first language. Uh, they begin with their first language, and and then the, the the English language as well. So they were ideal candidates to be taken up for those jobs as well. So people just moved into different sectors, um, and, and you couldn't really blame them. Would
3: you have had staff from overseas who went home?
5: yes loads, and we actually people that we have actually we we kept the, our our operations kind of open to some degree on takeaway and i have had a lot of people working with us still we we still kept that we really still managed to keep on our core management team in every restaurant and um but people haven't been home and seen their families for over 12 months and like i have people that are working with me in different countries that would be you know quite prevalent on the news right now and also have been in the past um it was like like Brazil and I would have you know a couple of my key um, management team from Brazil and they are worried about what's happening at home even though they know there's not much they can do mm-hmm. you still want to be on the ground at home if something should happen yeah so yeah. a lot have tried to go home and the moment restrictions are lifted they're going to go home because they haven't seen their family in so long it's been stressful
6: so yeah so for, for
3: many the... people it's been 2019. Realistically, yeah. since people yeah. have been home, so the knock-on it, when restrictions start to lift here uh, and everything gets back up and running, there there could be the additional problem of people getting on planes to go home, of taking yeah, holidays. You, yeah,
5: yeah, but you can't blame them because, no. like you know, I I found it hard not being going out to my dad in Ardmore. You know what I mean? <laughs> down the that's road, only, you know that's only down the road, and I couldn't go down and I could talk to him on, and that was that was tough, you know. But at least I could drive down and talk to him in the yard, yeah. something. But like you know, you have to recognise how stressful it's been for people. So I can't. It's it's a, it's not a factor of you know begrudging people going home. I don't. It's just that we're going to be under an awful lot of pressure right now to try and recruit more people because there's such an uncertainty. Like if you're in the if you're in the hospitality sector, like restaurants and pubs, you know you're opening outside in the seventh of June. How many? Like if we go through the weather we had yesterday. You know, I'd open in the morning and I'd be shut then for the rest of the day because we're outside. You just couldn't, no places weatherproofed 100%, really, very mm-hmm. few anyway. But with the uh, hotel sector and not, you know, complaining about the, whole se- the hotel sector being open, but they are open and they can recruit um, and they know that they'll have a minimum recu- um, staff requirement. Whereas if, uh, for a re- restaurant side of things, Depends how many people, if the how the weather is. You know what I mean. So you might start off in the morning with fifteen people on your roster. You know eight, that's front the house, but um, then if it starts raining, you might only need two or three. You know, and that's unfair in them. So you have to try and balance that. You can't just have people on a roster and then send them home because the weather's bad. You know, so it's that whole uncertainty. So where would you go if you were in if you were in the hospitality sector? Where would you go? You'd automatically go to a restaurant because you know if you're on a roster or sorry a hotel, you know you're in you're on that roster. It doesn't make a difference if it's raining or not. You're still working that day.
3: And when have you the date when you can fully reopen? As as no. in you can you don't for indoor dining?
5: No, no, that, 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 that's that's kind of a we don't know it's been moved to that it'll be sometime around july early july depending how the vaccines the vaccination goes and then the big elephant in the room is the the indian variant that may be introduced to the country what happens then so we don't um know what's going to happen but there are and like obviously from what i said about the indian variant you can't plan against that but everything else you can there's been like you know there's vaccine in the uk They've seen what's happened with the vaccination. They've seen the drop, the drop in hospitalizations, They see they can see what's happening and how to. And now they are re- they're fully reopened indoors with the reju- with reduced capacity since Monday. So at least they could plan ahead and work towards that. It's like we can't be told two weeks out you can open indoors now because like it's been held off all the time. It's like we'll give you the information next week or the week after, but we're running businesses. We've, we've, we've team members to take care of, they have mortgages to pay, they can't, no one can live on this uncertainty for forever. Um, so you can't blame people for not being there, and, and you can't blame businesses for not hiring people now to get, like, right, if I knew I had a date in July, and I was opening in June, I would take back probably 50% more staff than I'm going to take back, because at least there's no, it's not fair on them, and it's not fair on the business to say, well, if we're not opening in July, I'll have to let you go, guys, because I, I, I just don't have the business. So and even that, when you do,
3: when well, you know, if you could get a date, have you guidelines, Mike, as to how many you can allow in?
5: I believe it'll be the same as what it was um, last this time last year. Um, they, there's been no, they said they're not, like, the, the latest updated guidelines had the only real changes on it was the substantial meal and the the 15 outside has been to changed to once are socially distanced outside. But I suppose that's become from all the reports that were seen internationally that it was only like one percent or zero point one percent. It was really, really low that there was transmission from outside in, in gatherings. Mm. So going off that, they were the only real changes that were sent from Fort to Ireland. So we believe that everything else is going to be the same. It'll be fifty percent capacity inside, which a lot of businesses were able to operate with because you're inside. If you even have 50% of your restaurant open, you can plan your day. If the sun is shining, then it's a bonus, you know.
3: Yeah, you can have more people outside, but yeah. yeah if but, you, you but if you're only outside, as you say, the weather, weather yesterday and today is shocking, tomorrow is meant to be shocking, there's no yeah. one going to be sitting outside. I'll, I'll join you and we'll have a nice lunch. I mean, it's just, it's not going to happen.
5: Yeah, I know, yeah. sure like I never, from a farming background, oh. I never thought after I left home, and, and that I'd never have to look at the weather again to see what we're doing for today. God oh, you know? bless you. But that, it's the same, I know. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like you know, we're looking at our apps for two days out, and it's even even now with takeaway because we're t- doing takeaway, and so we're doing street food um, and Market Street. And when when uh, and when the sun is shining, it's lovely, and there's people just walking around, and it's got a lovely atmosphere. But that all just shuts down the moment the rain comes. And
3: off. our weather yeah. is, unfortunately, so unpredictable. And yeah. then the very skilled staff, Mike, like chefs. I mean, will, as an industry, will, will some restaurants struggle to find, you know, highly skilled chefs?
5: Yeah, well, we're all struggling. Like, uh, I, um, we kept on our core management team. We're based in Limerick Ancor. And we kept our teams on, kept them all together. Our main, uh, the, the our head chefs, sous chefs, and um, the, the key members of the team just have some structure when we came, when when we reopened. But as I said, a lot of those people there they want to go home, um they'll want to go home in time and going and holidays. As I said, don't blame them, but we don't have people coming behind it, and we have a legacy problem when it comes to the chefs and training. That a lot of that, that funding and training, like the old cert program, yeah, yeah. which was a great program. And it was was shelved years ago. Um, Like in 2019, 2018, we were we had a chef shortage back then. We we were training; we were putting out 1,500 student chefs every year. But there was a a need for 5,000, and that was back then. And if so many people have left the industry now, so you can see a lot of people going to cut their cloth to measure. We like even we're not probably going to open for lunches. Because there's no point burning the guys out that we have. So, like, you can't do lunch and dinner. So basically, just concentrate on the dinner time and and just, and just maybe open five days a week. And we're doing that and we're altering our menus to have le- uh, smaller teams in the kitchen. And as time goes on, hopefully we can build that. But we're just going to start off slowly um, because there'll be too much pressure and stress to try and go. if you wanted to go back to menus that we had 2019 we just wouldn't be able to produce them and we wouldn't be able to run the hours even right now uh, knowing who, who, who we have coming back and um, they wouldn't be able to do it you know physically mentally even uh, you know with the pressures that we put on them so we'll, we'll have to clutter, cut our claw to measure and there'll be a lot of other operations that are seasonal at least we were running away and we were taking over while this has been going on, I and mean, so we're able to keep some teams together.
3: Not every but, restaurant's been able to do that though. No, Mike.
5: and if you're in a seasonal area, like I know people that in can say, i like, I, I know people in say, y'all, all around, uh, and they, they're they struggling because they would naturally have chefs gone. They would only be taking chefs on, um, probably back in February time now, into running into their summer, um, and and, and the chefs used to go. Used to be working, say, to work in Dublin, in the, weekend, in the winter, and come down and go to say places like Yall and, and, and sale in the summertime. Kind of, but like the Dublin market was that's
3: all changed.
7: That's yeah. that's
3: all that's all changed. A lot of on, so, on a certain time and uh, ahead, and particularly with you know, it doesn't look like there's going to be much overseas travel and staycationing, and everybody's talking mm-hmm. about staycationing. There's going to be a need. For restaurants we could get to the stage where there just won't be enough restaurants if people are on holidays you know and that in itself is going to create problems
5: well on the short term that's that is a problem but long term when the international market opens back up this is where we're going to run into the biggest challenge because for over the last couple of maybe into the last 20 years now ireland has been recognized as a foodie destination And that's because of the skill set of the people that have been working in it and the the small local producers. Like, all these local producers that have been... And Cork has a huge amount of artists and producers. But the problem was they had no markets to sell them to, except maybe just do the markets on a Thursday or a Saturday. But the restaurants were taking most of their produce. Like, the cream on top was to hit a market in... Go to Middleton or do, do uh, Mahon or whatever. That was cream on top, but the main bulk of a lot of these arts and producers was to sell to the restaurants, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. haven't been buying for the last yeah. twelve months plus. Yeah,
3: there's mass, massive produce, knock-ons.
5: Yeah, and that massive knock-on is going to affect the the food tourism, which Foyleshireland has been building on for years. Because let's face it, we we all joke about our weather, but no one's coming here for, for the sunshine. Okay. scenery is <laughs> fantastic. Food is fantastic. You know, um obviously the KV the Falcha but the problem is that there's not gonna have people to greet them at the door, produce the food. That that the industry has been more decimated than people actually realise. And you know, it's only the some of the bigger chains are gonna survive.
3: OK Okay. Just and in the meantime it's, it's some kind of certainty from the government is what is needed Mike I have to leave it there listen thank yeah, you for no that problem. we'll speak again uh, but thanks for joining me um, good you. morning to you bye bye that is Mike Ryan he's Cork Chair of the Restaurants Association of Ireland but of course uh, also uh, owner of Cockpole and Corn Store on Corn Market Street 1850 lines open
2: Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's
1: Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. In
3: early January of this year, fire crews tackled a blaze at the R and H Hall Grain Store within the Port of Cork complex. And as we reported at the time, the fire exting- extended for a period of time. County councillors are now looking for access to a report on the Ring of Skiddy fire. And to find out more, I'm joined by Independent Councillor Marcia Dalton. Good morning, to Marcia. Good morning. Patricia. And you're welcome. Do you believe lessons? can can be learned from this particular fire.
8: Yes, yes, absolutely so. Um, And indeed, when we spoke about the whole incident in the chamber, in full council in January, the chief executive himself uh, offered that indeed lessons would be learned as they are, let's face it, out of every incident. But one of the things that the residents were particularly strong and anxious about is that they felt that they weren't adequately engaged with Um, had the wind been blowing in a different direction and we were just so fortunate it was blowing the way it was, they would have potentially needed to have been evacuated. And that too was something the Chief Executive agreed with that may have been the case. Now, he did make it very clear that if that were the case, the council who leads a multi-agency response to any sort of emergency would have had the capacity to deal with it. But where the residents were coming from was that they felt that they were left out of that chain of communication. And the learning in particular was, and again, this was offered by the Chief Executive at our discussion subsequent to the fire, that when that formal post-fire review takes place, we may then be able to sit down together with all the multiple agencies involved and see can we work out some sort of a formal process of notifying residents, keeping them up to date. He himself mentioned the map alerter system. Something like that might be appropriate but but all to be learned from. And so what I was asking for on Monday at our meeting is that is that post fire review done? And because is it? So I, we don't know. I don't know. I wasn't given that answer at the
3: meeting. Would you would you assume at this stage that it would be completed? Yeah, it's me. <laughs> <laughs>
8: <laughs> so yeah, I and I, I presumed it was done and if it's done we can't let this opportunity for something better to slip. We need to we need to grasp it and and take that learning that we all referred to, including the chief, and make the most we can of it and get the residents involved in their own safety.
3: And on the day, what what sort of communication was made with the local residents? Um,
8: my understanding, and this is obviously feedback from them, is that they didn't get any formal communication until sometime in the afternoon. And as you know, the fire um, started at 8 o'clock-ish in the morning. Um, I think there may have been some informal contact around midday, but the residents themselves, I know the gentleman who runs the Facebook page there for the Residents Association, essentially spent the whole day himself trying to grasp information from whatever source he could and relay that to the residents through that Facebook page.
3: That's using social media. That's Using that's social media. That's yeah. not good enough. And, to, and asking a local person to try to update it.
8: I think that's very strongly where they felt the the lack was in the system. So in the
3: ideal world, what kind of an alert system would be in place?
8: Well, the chief Chief executive's suggestion of some kind of a text alert or something associated with a map alert or type system is a very good one. Um, And even if that were to be coordinated with what is a very strong residence association there, even if the key leaders in that organisation were to be part of that text alert system so that they could then themselves relay the information, I think that's something they'd be happy to
3: yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it, that would seem a simple enough thing to put in place, wouldn't it? You'd imagine that it would. And
8: there's quite close relationship between the general body of industry in Ringuskiddy and the Residents Association themselves. They do meet, um, they meet bimonthly. And, and so, you know, that relationship has been established. I think where the gap may come, is that the, the emergency response team, that's a major emergency response, are, they're, they're statutory bodies and government-type organisations. So you're talking the county council leading a team of the Garda, the HSE, etc., etc., etc. And I think it's there that the gap in communications may be. And I think that's something that we can we can reach that gap. But we have to sit down together and decide how most efficiently we can do that.
3: And there is a concentration of industry uh, in that uh, small area. I mean, you you mentioned that if the wind was blowing the wrong way, and thank God it wasn't, there would have to have been an evacuation. Is there an evacuation plan that residents are aware of?
8: Um, Our understanding from that full council meeting is that it's not so much that there is an evacuation plan, there is capacity to cope with evacuation that's, that's as much as I'm what clear What does on. that mean? I think it means, because the Chief said, if the village had to be evacuated, we can do that. We have procedures in place to enable that to happen.
3: But surely residents need to know what those procedures are. Exactly.
8: And that's what they're saying too. Where are we expected to go? How are we expected? There's one road in and one road out. How are we expected to get off the peninsula? And those are the kinds of questions they're asking.
3: And it, it, isn't, it really isn't too much to ask.
8: No. It's not. Um, and you know, there's a whole legislative process around major emergency planning, um, and there is an element of public consultation involved in it. But as with all these statutory type consultations, it's advertised in a newspaper or on a website, and you don't just don't get to see it. I mean, even I, as a councillor, don't necessarily know that an adjacent industry is revising its Seveso uh, major emergency plan process, and we can now input. Do you know so? There's no communication with people living in close contact that's in any way helpful,
3: if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And there was huge worry that morning, wasn't there? Because people could physically see the smoke and the flames and nobody really knew what way the day was going to pan out. I mean, that was Only the bi- that was the big fear, wasn't it?
9: Absolutely.
8: And the material was, insofar as we're aware, non-toxic. The bulk of the material, at least, was non-toxic. But, and so we're really lucky. But you could see that fire from everywhere around the harbour. I mean, the harbour's a bowl. The, the harbour itself is low down. The residences are on a, a, topographically, they're on a height looking down on it. It was visible from everywhere. And the wind blew the smoke away from Ring of Skiddy. It just missed the village and it went over to Crosshaven. And then it skirted over the tops of the hills of Crosshaven and went on to Manam Bridge and settled in places we truly didn't expect it to settle. Mm. So had it been over to Cove, that's an island community. Had it been into Ringskiddy, that's a peninsular community, and so on. So these people need kind that kind of intervention from the statutory bodies that helps them to understand that they too are involved in their safety and in how they might look after themselves should something bad happen
3: and um, that's not too much talk. Okay, indeed it isn't. We'll wait to see what's in the uh, post-fire review report, Marcia. And in the meantime, thank you for joining us and for raising this uh, issue this morning. Good morning thank to you. you. Bye-bye. That Bye-bye. is uh, Independent Councillor Marcia Dalton. eighteen fifty three We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. In the next hour, we're going to be speaking with the fishing industry as to how their industry, they feel, has been decimated because of a break. Cork
2: today on C103.
1: With Sean Cusack Insurances can sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: I just asked before news at 11, a listener wanted to know had anyone in Cork. Uh, or in West Cork in particular being offered the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and I was making the point that I hadn't heard of anybody getting it and I'm wondering was it a supply issue because I know there is a big consignment of Johnson Johnson vaccine to arrive in this country in June so I imagine a lot of people in June are going to be receiving it and I hadn't heard of anybody to date but that wasn't to say that nobody had been offered Johnson & Johnson well lo and behold I got a flood of texts in from people to say hi I'm getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in Clonacilty. The vaccination. Centre. I'm getting it next Sunday. Dan in Limerick says, Hi on the JJ vaccine. I have an appointment on Friday in Limerick, and I'm getting the Janssen single dose vaccine, which I think is the Johnson Johnson one. It is. That's from Dan in Limerick. And by WhatsApp, Mary says, Patricia Morning. Uh, yes, Johnson Johnson vaccine is definitely going to be given in Clone next week. I know because several family members are to uh, get it. I love the show. So thank you for that, uh, Mary, because it says somebody saying, how do you know what vaccine you're you're getting? It actually says it on the text message that you get to from your with your appointment from the vaccination centres. I don't know if it's the same with the GPs, but it's definitely from the vaccination centres. When you get a text message, it will tell you. What vaccination centre you're going to, the time of your vaccination, what you have to bring with you and it tells you the type of vaccine you're going to get so people now are getting text messages it looks like certainly from Friday there must be Johnson & Johnson available and I'm assuming that that is the cohort of people between 50 and 59 because they're the group that they're working through at the moment and of course talking of vaccines, Pfizer uh, this it, it is reported in the papers that Pfizer, Well. They're declining to contradict reports that they're planning to manufacture COVID-19 vaccines here in Ireland. Last night, the online news site is called The Currency. They reported that the pharmaceutical company Pfizer have been working for a month or more to bring manufacturing capacity to one of the three plants that it currently has here in the Republic. And then when Pfizer were contacted, they declined to comment on the report. So they didn't deny it. And the fact that they didn't deny it, people take that when you don't deny something. Ah, it must be true. They must be doing it. Now, of course we know we have a Pfizer plant here in Cork but it is looking most likely that the plant that will be picked is in Grange Castle. It's a site in West Dublin because it's the only biological site in the country from Pfizer that already manufactures vaccines. So it looks like that's going to be the obvious one. But that certainly is good news in that there will be it'll beef up the manufacture of vaccines and uh, a Pfizer vaccine in particular, and we'll all benefit from that. And of course, staying on vaccines from today those aged 45 to 49 are able to register online for the COVID-19 vaccine. The portal uh, will be accessible to those under the age of 50. Again, it's been done on a staggered basis as they did for those in their 50s and as it did for those in their 60s. It kicks off today with the 49 year olds and then works backwards up to the 45 year olds who will be able to access the system from uh, Sunday. Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly said the vaccination program's computer system thankfully wasn't compromised in the HSC cyber attack last week and the program was moving very quickly and I'm assuming that lots of people in the fifty to fifty nine age group are continuing to get Appointments for right across this week to go and get their uh, vaccine. So the 49-year-olds can register from today. And the HSE say the people aged 45 to 49. It also includes people in different groups such as frontline healthcare staff. I would have thought at this stage that every single frontline healthcare staff was vaccinated, but it seems not. So if you're 45 to 49 and you're frontline healthcare staff, then you go through the portal. It's also open to people who are at high are very high risk due to underlying conditions. Now there are people who if you haven't been given an appointment by your hospital or you haven't been given an appointment by your GP or your healthcare team and you're aged between 45 and 49 and you're in one of those high risk or very high risk groups with an underlying condition then you can go to the portal and you can register. And what do you need when you're registering? Somebody is asking. they, They always say the quickest and easiest way is to register online. You need your PPS number you need your air code, a mobile phone number, and an email address to register online. If you can't register online, then you ring the HSE live on 1850-241850. Uh, and people aged between 45 and 49 who will be you will be vaccinated at a HSE vaccination centre. You won't be vaccinated at your GP practice and you will be offered According to the newspapers today, you'll be offered and the ads that the HSE have put in the paper, you'll be offered either a Pfizer or a Moderna vaccine. That's for the 45 to uh, 49 year olds. And I know... We were running on the news there with Barry at uh, 11 o'clock. He was also saying that people will be given the Pfizer or the Moderna uh, when the vaccinations start, but it is expected that Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca will be offered too, and that depends on supplies. That's what we're getting from the HSC to our news feed. as I say on the papers today, they're saying it'll be Pfizer or Moderna, but it will be done through a vaccination centre. It'll be later this month and right into June. And obviously that's to make sure that the 50 to 59 year olds are all registered and of course anyone in the 50s or in their 60s who haven't registered yet, you can use the portal as well at any time now to uh, register. And of course with this word going out now that forty the people in their 40s will get a choice of when they turn up to a vaccination centre or when they get their text and they're offered AstraZeneca or offered Johnson & Johnson, if they don't want to take it uh, they will be given a choice. That is really really upsetting people in their 60s and Marion Mallow was on, um, very unhappy to hear that people in their 40s will be given a choice for the vaccine. Uh, she's, well she accepts that it is important and it's great that they get a choice but people aged 60 to 69 we had no choice at all feel it is very unfair why did we not get a choice. Now I did go through this yesterday the reason that the 40 year olds are getting the choice is because they're at higher risk of that very rare clotting risk whereas people in their 60s are not at a higher risk of getting a clot from that particular vaccine and that's the reason for it but I know it has upset certainly and it has annoyed a number of people that they're not allowed to uh, choose. Now also coming in just by text. Hi I am from West uh, Cork. Could you ask people to please be aware of a scam mobile call that's doing the rounds this morning. They're leaving a message saying they're an investigation an an investigating officer and you need to press 1. If you don't answer this is the message that they leave. Please do not answer. Please do not give them Any information, please do not give any information to anyone when you don 't know who is calling i 'm assuming is that the o a three one that we were talking about yesterday that 's purporting to come from the Department of Social Protection and they look for PPS numbers and bank details and all of that and the P- and the Department of Social Protection have been out saying they would never contact and if they did contact somebody they certainly wouldn 't be looking for that kind of information so that that text and those calls seem to be doing the round in West Cork. They have a tendency and I don't know how and why they do it but they seem to target areas because I know we would often get calls in from a particular area and we'd mention one area and we'd get a flood of people saying yeah I got the same one in that general area so please be aware but that's not to say that you have to be in West Cork to receive that call. You could get it absolutely anywhere. Still getting calls in about the Eurovision Song Contest a West Cork listener says long gone are the days of catchy songs in the Eurovision Song Contest the likes of ABBA those days are long gone. Sorry now but our song was dull. Oh, okay. You need a song that you can sing along to. I, okay. I, yeah I don't know if it was that dull. Again everybody's individual taste but a West Cork listener not happy with it. John and Carrie Geline says Patricia politics has everything ruined. Look at the government. Look at the Eurovision. Turkeys. Roll on Christmas. It won't be long coming. I'm looking forward to it says John and Carrie Geline. I must take my tree down from the attic. John, I know of somebody who hasn't even taken their tree down from last year. They just put it into another room and closed the door. And they've left it. It's all up and ready uh, for this year. And a CanTurk listener says, why don't we get the likes of Ali Sherlock to sing for the Eurovision Song Contest? She'd be a great girl. Her voice is outstanding. Uh, that's, and I'm a fan of hers. That's in CanTurk. She's a great singer. But then let's not take from Leslie Roy who sang last night. She's a great singer. I mean, I just don't think she I personally don't think she did the song justice but she is a great, great singer but Ali Sherlock would be great yeah, and she'd be young as well she'd be a fantastic uh, little singer and actually because we were getting some calls in from people earlier on saying is it not now time for Ireland and it would be RTE because it's the national broadcaster who went to us into the competition is it not now time for Ireland to say look, we've had the most wins of any country we haven't won in 25 years we haven't now qualified for a number of years is it time to turn Our back on the Eurovision Song Contest and not take part at all. So we've put up a Twitter poll on C103. There's about half an hour left on it. If you're on Twitter, go on to C103 and you can vote. And we're asking the question uh, because of the very disappointing semi-final results last night for Ireland. Should we leave the competition for good? And you can answer either yes or no. I can tell you so far 41% of people Almost 42% of people feel we should leave the Eurovision Song Contest, while 58% of people feel we should stick with it. 18, that's over on Twitter if you want to vote in that. 1850 333 John Paul, taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103
2: 103. C103 Jobs.
3: The ISPCA, they are looking to hire an animal care assistant. It's at their Equine Rescue Centre, which is based in Mallow. You can actually get a full job description on the ISPCA's website. A window and a door fitter is required. That's for North and East Cork areas. Carpentry and plastering background would be an advantage. Mortgage advisor and administrator, that's wanted for Ross Garbury. While ABEC Technologies, they're based in Fomoy, they've got a vacancy for a financial accountant. Now, it may suit somebody newly qualified looking to gain valuable experience. We have a very busy job link today. If you would like to get details on what we've just announced and details of the many, many other jobs that are available today, you can go online to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
2: Cork Today on C103.
1: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie.
3: Patrick Murphy, Chief Executive of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation, joins me on the programme this morning to discuss how the fishing industry has been impacted by Brexit and also their plans for a protest next week at Cork Harbour. Good morning to you, Good
10: morning, Patricia. And,
3: and we'll talk about your your planned flotilla to the Taoiseach's office and next week. It's a campaign to raise awareness of the plundering of our greatest national resource. Talk to me about how the industry has been uh, affected. There's been so much focus on the pandemic; we rarely talk now about Brexit and its implications.
10: Well, we can start with the pandemic first, Patricia. Um, we were picked as a necessary industry that was asked by our government to continue to fish to bring food into not just our country, but the countries of Europe, you know. And, and just be cognizant of this. If somebody got sick at the start, you know, and, and we all were afraid, we'd, we'd seen the videos of China where a man just walking down the street, collapsed over, dead, you know, and put the fear of God into every one of us well, you can imagine these men and women that are going to sea hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the nearest hospital, you know, and it's bad enough that you would be far away from a hospital, but you can imagine putting the sea between you. So, you know, for these people to go out and, and be the frontline workers as well, too, um, on these boats that are isolated, was was a fair ask in, in the first place. And now we come to the reasoning why we're, we're having this uh, flotilla of uh, And up.
3: by the way, did you hear of many fishermen who did... Contrast COVID?
10: Oh, there was cases. Sure, okay. we've we, we seen protests in certain communities about foreign vessels that were coming in here. Um, you know, their fears were that these lads were allowed to roam from the boats up I remember that, yeah, people were look, worried. There were fierce concerns, and we need to put this into context. We had a media campaign where children were standing outside a pane of glass, waving to their loved ones inside of it. That is how scared we were of this um, unknown entity at the time, and sure, who would blame people for reacting to that and trying to protect their loved ones and their coastal communities when they see that something else should be done here? Like they weren't looking to stop these lads from coming in; they just wanted to regulate it. So th- these are the things that we face. And look, we're delighted. We fishermen now going down to the base of Biscay, looking for tuna um in, in the next month, and our lads are on. To, uh, myself and others, to see, can they, you know, go ahead of everybody else and get the, the vaccine? And I said, oh, no, the government have decided now this is age-based. And, like, again, our fishermen will have to accept that, and, they, and they'll do their job, and they'll go out and they'll try and catch these fish, valuable fish, bring them in, land them, support their families, support the coastal communities, and bring badly needed resources that we're going to badly, badly need. Like, I don't think anybody in the country could deny that for the rebuilding after covid Okay. So this is a natural resource, Patricia. So uh, so
3: outline that. how how the Brexit agreement has affected the industry.
10: Well, the easiest way I'll describe this now for, for yourselves and the listeners is to describe, as I normally do, a different analogy. Can you imagine the Dunstor's family being told in the morning that, listen, lads, because of a TCA agreement, because of a trade cooperation agreement with the UK, Tesco are going to come into the country and one in five of your shops will have to take down the name of off office and we're going to put Tesco over it and they're going to trade away. And by the way, you can't put another shop in the town. When you're gone, you're gone. That's what was asked of. That's what was told to our fishermen, you know. And if people say, well, everybody had to carry the burden. Well, not equally. So there was 178 million worth of fish that was given in this deal. And of that £178 million, Ireland carried the can for £45 million of it. And this doesn't reflect either, Patricia, that the other countries paid their bill with fish that they were allowed to catch in Irish waters. So th- we're paying a vast, vast majority of that bill. And we think it's unfair, especially when this means that our fishing boats will be put out of business. That's why we're bringing people up to car. To show these modern vessels, Patricia, that these lads have struggled, and they have struggled, let's be honest, to get these boats, and they're worth an awful lot of money, but they're the same as a farm. They're worth nothing because you're using them. They're only worth what you can earn with them. You know, if if there's no ability to sell them on, or there's there's nobody else there to buy them, then they're worthless. Do you know? But we want the and public many to many,
3: involved, many involved, many uh, involved. It, it's it's their family-run businesses that have been passed down through the generations. Isn't that fair to say?
10: And still are, and 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 will be in, into the future. These aren't big, massive companies. These are. Um, sons, daughters, um, grandchildren, you know, of people who have invested and spent most of their life. Like, you know, a fisherman spends maybe the vast, vast majority of his time away from his family on the sea to make the living. You know, the sacrifices they put down to make these boats. And, you know, somebody said to me, you know, one of the lads, he said, you see the equipment inside in the wheelhouse there? That would buy a small farm. Just the equipment inside in the wheelhouse alone. And this equipment isn't there to catch fish because there's plenty of fish outside there. That equipment is in there, Patricia, to try and help them avoid fish, to stay away from the fish that they're not allowed to catch. So they're designing new technology to run from fish, to steam away from fish. And now they're told, listen, thanks very much for your sacrifices. Thanks for bringing the stocks back up 50% in the last 12, 14 years by bringing in technical measures, bringing in different types of nets, bigger mesh sizes, changing your nets, changing the way that you fish so that you can rejuvenate the stocks and sustain the stocks outside there. But now we're going to give them to somebody else. And you can go and we're giving
3: business. them to other countries, to, yeah, to yeah, fishermen yeah. from other countries. So,
10: like, here's the question that we can say to the listeners. Have you heard of any other countries complaining about this, that, oh, you know, this is a bad deal for us, we're going to have to lose boats now, boats will have to be decommissioned? Did their um, ministers and their Taoiseachs, within a week of this, say, look, what we're going to do is we're going to try and tie them up for a while, get them off the water... Give them a few bob for that until we get a more permanent solution where we actually take them out. We decommission them. We get rid of them. That that, that is... Do you know, like, to find the word now that's appropriate for radio, I'm struggling. But it's a criminal act.
3: And then something that I think a lot of... You're going to have to explain this to people because I was reading up about it yesterday. Can you explain the loss of the control plan that happened in April and what that means to Irish fishermen?
10: Well, um... The control agency, the SFPA, and I don't like to speak of people when they can't defend themselves. I'd love to know if they were on the airwaves with us that we could debate this properly. But um, but I'll say it as, as as I find it, right? So this is an organisation, it's a competent authority that was picked by the Irish government to do the job. And the European Commission really is the ones that says whether it can do it or not, not the Irish government. So they picked them out. So from a report in 2018, that the commission came to Ireland and, and, and did, they found inaccuracies and they found failings in the system itself. So they asked this organization to do another report of their own. And funnily enough, this organization confirmed that they weren't fit for the job and said, look, yeah, there's a problem here and we can't fix it. So what they did is they said, right, well, you can't use the system you have, so we're going to throw it out. And what we're going to do instead now is we're going to say you have to weigh all the fish and the pier. Now, the complication of that... Um, patricia is that imagine for a milker a milk a dairy industry right so he is a refrigerated unit he milks the cows they're the best milk that you can possibly have and just before he puts it into the main system or into the big bulk tanker right he's told sorry to wait you'd have to take it out of that refrigerated unit put it into an ordinary drum over here and wait with and then put it into the tanker he'd laugh at them well, that's what a fisherman are asked to do
3: because have, because you you normally you weigh them at sea.
10: Well, th- you see the fish coming over the side. You got yeah. them. You 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 go to an awful lot of effort to make sure the hygiene and get this fish down into a cool, controlled environment, which is a refrigerated hole that costs hundreds of thousands to put there. We have boats now that actually make their own ice from the seawater at sea, imagine. And that's saying. to
3: keep them fresh so that's that they'll be perfect fresh. when they end up in somebody's exactly. place.
10: And, and exactly. And here's the thing. There's a regulation to govern that. There's even a regulation to govern the water that they use to make the ice. And then they're told now by the same authority, look, we don't trust you. The system isn't And um, what, what, what are they not the trusting box, you to do? To weigh them. So here's, here's the crazy stuff. So where did, what happens is the fish come in. The, the the fishermen weigh the fish. They have an estimate of the fish. Yeah. They put them into the back of a lorry. They're taken to the factory. And the factory, again, reweighs them with a system that's authorised and sanctioned by the SFPA. But that's not good enough anymore. Now they want to actually do it on the pier side where there's no weighing scales. You'll have to bring one with you. Where there's no new ice, because of cross-contamination, if you don't have more ice on board the boat and there's no ice-making plant on, on the land, you, then you can't put ice back on them. And then break the chain of the, the, the cold and the temperature, because we have documents where it um, shows that fish within 25 minutes can rise three or four degrees just by sitting on the quayside wall without ice. And can you imagine the amount of boats that will be coming in. And, and we've told the Urg Minister and the government, if you keep going with this system, boats won't land here. They won't be able to, because they won't be able to sell their fish and have the same level playing pitch as other countries that don't have to do this. It's madness.
3: And okay, so t- now talk to me, uh, Patrick, about what you're looking for. What, what can be done to save this industry? Because if we keep going the way we're going, We will lose boats because you're not going to be able to survive financially. People are not going to be able to survive. So what needs to be done?
10: We need a government that's going to go back to Europe and say, look, you gave 75% of the UK's fish to them to catch. You've left us with 15% and the same continental shelf. We have to get more fish to sustain our coastal communities and the industries that we have here. You cannot be sending your boats in to catch 85% of the fish and wiping out our industry. That's the message. It's that simple. Is there a way of doing it? Of course there is. It's called the uh, re- review of the common fishery policy. Like, th- this has to be done. We have to be given the same equal opportunities and the same equal rights under our constitution, and we have to be treated the same as any other citizen of Europe. We cannot be expected to carry the can for everybody else and unfair burden sharing, which is acknowledged. We're we're not saying this. Everybody's saying this. Europe is saying this. But so they're you, not correct.
3: So it's equal rights and equal opportunities for Irish fishermen is your message. You have a flotilla organised for next week. Tell me about that.
10: So the boats themselves want to show the public the boats that they have. So You can imagine um, somebody sitting at the side of the road and they're seeing this big massive boat outside and they're saying, look at that man, he's complaining. He has a boat worth three or four million. If he has to build it new, it's worth eight or ten million. And what is he complaining about? What he's complaining about is that through no fault of his own and and the sacrifices he and previous generations have made to buy that boat, to try and service the debt on that boat, he's being told now that we gave away the fish that would have helped you to do that and now you have to go to business. So we've, we want the people of Cork, a rebel county, to see what's happening to their own people off the shoreline that have stood by them bringing in fish during the COVID uh, virus, like we spoke about at the start, that have supported our coastal communities, that create jobs. Ninety percent of the jobs in the Bear com- community is created through fishing. Ninety percent. And we're going to destroy that to allow others to come in and fish in our waters. Uh, O'Sullivan Bear put a chain across the mouth of the gap here and charged Spanish boats for coming in and using our facilities. That chain has been taken away by our government as far as we're concerned and now they've given them the fish as well. Like okay.
3: okay, your protest is planned for next it's Wednesday, this day week, 26th of uh, May. Uh, Patricia,
6: can,
10: yeah. I, can I come back in now because this is really, really important. Okay, We are, we are working hand in glove with the, the department um, authorities port authorities, they're helping us bring these boats up in a safe manner, organised manner, they have a plan of where we tie up we're working hand in glove with the local guard the liaison officer above there to make sure this is done right, even under COVID restrictions, we're, this is, is a protest by other name, this is a show and tell, we're not up there to disrupt or cause trouble, we're just appealing to the public, have a look at us, talk to us, see what's going on if you believe we have a just cause help us, how can you help us? Contact your politicians. Contact our Taoiseach. Tell them that this is not right. If they believe this is not right, then speak up for us that's what we want
3: okay and it's happening this uh, day uh, week we'll speak again uh, Patrick in the meantime thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning
10: thank you good morning to you bye bye
3: Patrick Murphy their Chief Executive of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation I mean he paints a picture of uh, an industry that is going to be on its knees if it doesn't get the help that it needs 1850 333 103 John Paul uh, continues to take your calls I just saw a couple of calls coming in about... Uh, vaccines. Mary, I am 60 years of age. My husband is 64. We registered by phone five weeks ago and we've heard nothing back. Is there anybody else in the same boat as us? I would suggest, Mary, that you get on to 1850, 24, 1850 because we've mentioned this before. If you haven't received a text with an appointment within three weeks that actually says it on the email, you really do need to contact them and just let them know just in case because a few, not not many, but a few have fallen between the, have fallen between the cracks and for whatever reason, maybe it was a wrong number was taken down. There's been all kinds of different reasons put forward. Uh, but they just alert them to the fact that you haven't heard anything in five weeks. And then Mary in Mitchelstown registered on the web for the vaccine, heard nothing. But when she ran, they said that she is on the list and she she'd receive a text with the appointment. But has heard nothing. I don't know how long ago all of that was, Mary. But again, when you rang them, if you haven't heard anything, I would give them another seven days from when you rang them to say they're on the list. And I would be calling them back again. 1850 Eighteen fifty-three, three-three-one-zero-three. John Paul takes the calls. Text or WhatsApp zero-eight-six-two-one-zero-three-one-zero-three.
2: Cork today on C one-zero-three
1: with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
3: This year's Cork Volunteer Awards will be presented at the Kingsley Hotel on Friday, November fifth. To find out about the awards and, in particular, the nomination process, I'm joined by Judy Connolly, who's of the Cork Volunteer Centre. Good morning to you, Julie. Good
9: morning, Patricia. Happy
3: Volunteer Week. Absolutely. I'm back at you. Now, listen, I I take it it's all fingers crossed that all restrictions will be lifted and the night can go ahead as planned. I mean, is that sort of the way you're looking at it at the moment?
9: That's what we're hoping for. Um, So I suppose in previous years, this is our third one, Um, so we had normally done it in October so we pushed it out to November in the hope that we can have some kind of a physical ceremony but if we can't we will do what we did last year with your help. We will do a virtual ceremony again um, and uh, people will be celebrated and recognised regardless. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So there is a plan B. uh, And it did,
3: did, you know, I know it's not the same as having a big night out and everybody getting together, but it did work well and the people who got the awards and that's what it's about. It's about recognising Mm. people who are giving of their time free of charge as volunteers. I mean, that's what the awards are all about.
9: Absolutely, and what we did last year was we brought people in kind of very separately, um, uh, all COVID restrictions followed and we recorded little pieces of them receiving their award and we had a Zoom ceremony where everybody logged in on the night uh, with all their families and, you know, had their little glasses of wine and whatever at home and it was really nice and it was, um, yeah, it was it was a lovely ceremony. We I suppose we're 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 working for Plan A and then, you know, Plan B is yeah, there is and there. the Kings yeah. are, are great and, you know, so we're just going to see how we go. I suppose it all depends on on um, government restrictions and, and everything else. But sure, look, that's the and, world we're in.
3: And the people that get nominated and go on to win these awards, uh, Julie, I mean, none of them get involved in this work looking to be recognised in any way. I mean, most of them are kind of blown away by the fact that someone would even think about nominating them for award. Isn't that fair to say?
9: It is, absolutely. Um, And I suppose everyone is a winner in our eyes because they are so selfless and they're giving their time and their energy um, to a non-profit organisation based in Cork. So everyone who's nominated receives a thank you card from us regardless so they will you know as long as you put in that nomination and we have somebody's postal address we'll send them out a little thank you that's nice that's nice Um, now talk
3: me through how many awards will be given out
9: okay so we have the c103 overall volunteer of the the year award so that's the main one but there are 11 subcategories this year Uh, we added uh, COVID-19 special projects, uh, cash grief, to to this year, I suppose, to recognise specifically the work that people had been doing in relation to and response to COVID-19. However, that doesn't mean that there wasn't a huge amount of volunteering going on. Regardless, there was still people supporting homeless organisations and disability services and the tidy towns and the Meals on Wheels and, oh my gosh, the amount of things that people did. So... Same as previous years, we have our categories, our geographical categories. Uh, so North, East and West County, North and South City. We have our Board of Committee member. We have our Youth Award. We have, oh, I'm stuck. Sorry. Sport
3: Awards. There's a Sport Ooh. Award in there, isn't there as well? There
9: is a Sport Award. There's a Group Award. And there is, I think I'm missing
3: one. The 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 volunteer. Outstanding Lifetime Achievement lifetime Award is given out. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Sorry. Uh no no they're and they're all they're all great uh, categories and they give people loads of scope uh, uh, for choice and I think this year and last year t- uh, 2020 with people being out of work and you know businesses closed down a number of people turned to volunteering because you know people got bored at home and people got you know we constantly heard people we got I'm sick of looking at the same four walls people got into volunteering didn't they people who'd never volunteered before
9: Absolutely, And I mean, if you think of it, last year, 2,500 people um, registered with us from Cork alone to volunteer in response to COVID. People who had never registered with Cork Volunteer Centre before, who, as you said, maybe were unemployed or just felt they needed to do something or wanted to do something um, to help. And a lot of volunteering went on then within the Cork City and Cork County Community Response Forums, um, which were set up. Um, there was, you know, but then you had things like, you know, floods and, you know, different things that happened throughout the course of the year. And I suppose it's it's been, in some ways, COVID has been great for volunteering in the sense that it has given people an opportunity to do something and maybe to, to dip the toe into volunteering that they wouldn't have, you know, previously done. So... Um, yeah, so it's it's been amazing and yeah. I cannot emphasise how amazing the people of Cork have been and how much they've donated to charity and it's just, yeah, look, I, these the, the awards always bring out the, the emotional side of me, Patricia, you know, because I'm just always so amazed by how wonderful the people are.
3: Well, I was chatting with a friend of mine who ended up getting... You know, laid off from work because of the pandemic, and uh, she ended up spending some time working in a charity shop in in her town. And now she's back at work, and she's but she's continued on a Saturday on her day off uh, to to do a half day. And I said, "Why?" And she said, "I just really enjoy." it she said, "I yeah. n- never realised how much I was going to enjoy something," and she did it just because she had spare time in her hands. And and she's ended up, even though she's back at work, still volunteering. And yep. I just thought, it's 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 the it really is fantastic. How can people nominate somebody?
9: Okay, very, very simply. Um, If you go on to volunteercork.ie forward slash uh, Cork Volunteer Awards and there is a nomination form there and you just fill it in. There's a couple of really simple questions. We need to know which organization somebody is volunteering with um, because we'll just double check and verify that they are actually volunteering and you know. Um and then you identify the category so you can nominate somebody from more than one category, but it means you have to do the the nomination twice. Um we just ask a couple of really simple questions. How long has the person been volunteering? Um, describe the impact of their activities on your organisation or community Um, and then give us a fun fact about the volunteer and is there anything else we should know about them and then just who nominated them because we'll just maybe double check with you Um, and then a contact number uh, for the volunteer as well just so we can get in touch with them. Um, But yeah, so I look that and their address for the card. Okay, it's an easy, it's an easy enough. a very easy form. We try to break it down and make it as simple as possible. We're learning every year to try and simplify things as much as we can for people and there will be a judging panel Um, that will take place in kind of mid to end of September.
3: That's the difficult uh, job. That's yeah. the really difficult one because as you say, every single person or group or individual that gets nominated is deserving. I mean, oh. it, it, it really, really is, yep. uh, is hard. And you're having a virtual launch today?
9: We are. So we this afternoon we're having a virtual launch at lunchtime. We have the Lord Mayor of Cork City and Cork County are both speaking. Um, we're going to hear from past winners and what it meant to them and um, what it meant for their organization as well. Um, And uh, someone from C103 is going to be speaking as well, just uh, why you supported the awards. So it's just a nice little way to kick it off. And the nominations, as I said, the website is is up and running. The nomination form is there. We're ready to go. So it's really just to kind of take that opportunity during National Volunteer Week um, to open the nominations. And look, they're open for a couple of months um, but please don't all nominate on the last day yeah
3: nominations uh, <laughs> in, by, in by when what's the closing date
9: the 10th of September 10th of so September a really okay. nice lead in to think about it okay. um,
3: and you might come back on and we'll remind listeners again because oh, I know it's one of those things people almost do that and then it, it's gone so yeah. we will certainly later on in the summer speak with you again listen Julie good luck with your virtual launch uh, today and thanks a million for joining us on the programme
9: and thanks a million as always for having us Patricia our pleasure brilliant thank you thanks
3: for that that is Bye. Julie Connolly a manager of the Cork Volunteer Centre and it's a nice time to say you know, well done to everyone who has been volunteering all of the volunteers that are listening to this programme pat yourself on the back you're doing the most amazing work some people commenting on fishing when we were talking with Patrick Murphy couldn't help but have sympathy for the fishermen listening to Patrick this morning Lillian in Kinsale said I understand everything that Patrick is, was saying to you this morning it's disgraceful to think what is happening to one industry why did Ireland feel like Ireland has sold out the fishing industry and Lillian and Kinsale says would it not remind you of what happened to the su- sugar industry in the country not so long ago and we'll be crying over it once it is gone but then guess what happens that's what happened with the fishing industry once it's gone it's gone and it simply then is too late somebody else says Patricia God help those poor uh, fishermen I feel they are really dealing with a, a government that has been discriminating against them it's not just fishermen it's those in agriculture as well. And someone else says, Patricia, England made fools of the Irish many hundreds of years ago and it feels like it's happening all over again with the deal that they got on Brexit when it comes to the fishing industry. What is wrong with our government and our negotiators? Why have they let this happen? Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. number of questions coming in for Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener, who's going to be joining us in the next hour. We're also going to be talking about the Eurovision. All coming up after news at 12.
2: Court today. On C103.
1: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: When I was reading the weather there, I should have mentioned the Met Aaron this morning have actually issued two status yellow weather warnings ahead of this spell of very wet and windy weather that we can expect here in the south of the country. It's going to hit parts of the west as well over the next uh, two days. The wind warning uh, is for 24 hours from midnight tonight. It's for us here in Cork and our neighbours in Kerry. Gusts of up to 110 kilometres of forecast. Uh, The higher gusts obviously are expected in the coastal areas so that's the wind warning but then they've got a separate status yellow rain warning has been issued for Clare, Cork, Kerry, Waterford Galway and Mayo and they reckon there could be up to 50 millimetres of rain possible in some areas that could lead to some localised flooding from tomorrow and the rain warning uh, comes into effect from one a.m. an hour later than the wind warning, so one a.m. and it will stay in place until nine a.m. on Friday morning. So I would be if you have anything planned uh, outdoors, you get it done today because we certainly I don't think we'll be venturing out tomorrow and with that very heavy wind bringing an umbrella with you. I don't even think is going to work. So batten down the hatches and stay indoors. I think is going to be the what we're going to have to do tomorrow. A well, listener's been on saying, Patricia could. Ask you, please. are charity shops open. I have a bag of clothes for them. Thanking you. I read a report actually on the papers this morning. They went. To, it was. It was. A, it was out of Dublin where they they followed some people around to different charity shops and people were in getting great bargains. Great bargains to be had. So yes, as far as I know, all of the charity shops open. Some opened up on a limited way last week under Click and Collect. But from last Monday, charity shops they were in with the cohort of non-essential shops. So I take it all charity shops are open now. Just check in with your local charity shop to see are they accepting items I imagine they are I imagine they will be very very grateful of any items that you can pass on to them but the best of luck to everybody in the charity shops because the amount of money that is raised for local charities from those charity shops is absolutely incredible and we have many fantastic charity shops across Cork City and County and you can get fantastic bargains there as well and at the same time knowing, knowing that a charity is going to benefit and I always try to say to people if you can drop off items to your local charity shop I always feel that's the best way of doing it I know we've got bins around the place but you've got to be careful of some of the bins that you donate the items to because some of them have there's a commercial aspect to it that only a very small percentage of the money goes on to charity now the Vincent de Paul bins I know they have their own collection they come and they empty the bins themselves and they go to the Vincent de Paul shops or all the Vincent shops and that's what they're called all over the country but just some of the other ones I'm always a bit nervous about putting items in, into them they're a little bit like you know the clothes collection that's done at the door I mean it's fine if you want to donate that way but just if you want all of whatever you're handing over if you want to know that it's a local charity is going to benefit I think the best way is to call to the charity shop themselves who will take the items for you. So yes, pop along to your charity shop. They'll be delighted with your bags of uh, clothes. Now, what else is coming into us? Um, vaccines. Have I got some on vaccines? I do. West Cork Listener says we registered for our vaccine last week online. Couldn't believe the amount of questions we were asked, including for our GP's name and address. I was even asking my mother's maiden name, says this West Cork Listener. I hope the hackers enjoy using all my personal information. Well, thankfully, the hackers haven't made it into the portal for the online registration, which certainly is good news. But I did hear a cyber security expert speak yesterday and he did make the point that he was also surprised at the amount of information that was required to register for a vaccine. I mean, I I registered and I hadn't thought about it and then when I listened to the cybersecurity expert I thought "Yeah, why do they need that much information but they do they do look for a lot of information along with your PPS number and your air code so you do give a lot of information but thankfully that hasn't been hacked and then staying on vaccinations the listener says you will see a big decline in people now getting vaccines we in our 40s and under are not scared of COVID or indeed brainwashed either and no before you ask or say I'm not an anti-vax person. In the last year and a half I only know three people who had COVID-19 and not as bad as the flu all of them told me. I also don't know anybody who died from it. I live in a very big town and nobody knows anybody who had it very bad. We are, we are known what went Now we know what went on with the older people and that was a disgrace. Protect the old and the vulnerable. The rest of us are fine period says this Dexter and you're absolutely within your rights those in their 40s and under not to get the uh, vaccine but and I'm glad that you don't know anyone that died I have to say personally I, I know of one person that uh, died a, a guy in his 50s and it was just a great great shock to us he became so unwell uh, with COVID do I know of people who are very unwell I don't know of anybody else that ended up in the hospital I do know people that contra- contracted COVID-19 and certainly felt very unwell and said they wouldn't wish it on their worst anyway. Uh, I have a, a really good friend of mine who is in her early 40s and is a nurse and has ended up with long uh, COVID. I think she would have wished that she had been vaccinated before she went to work so that she didn't pick up COVID and she picked up COVID uh, while at work. So while you may not know personally people who became very unwell, that is not to say that people in their 40s and under haven't become very unwell, haven't ended up with long COVID because the long COVID does seem to be, certainly any of the interviews that we've done here on long COVID, they seem to have affected younger people and yes, older people did die die in great, great numbers from COVID, but you are absolutely within your rights to say that you don't want or don't need the COVID vaccine. The only one thing I think that might encourage a lot of younger people to get their jab will be if you're not able to leave the country. If a number of countries are going to insist, a number of airlines are going to insist, you won't be able to get on a plane unless you're vaccinated and then a number of countries will be checking before you'll be allowed in because people want to try to stop the spread of it. And uh, I hope Absolutely. I hope that it stays fine for you and that you don't pick up COVID and that you don't become become unwell. But nobody will force you. And it's the same with all of the age groups, no matter what age you are. um, Everybody, nobody gets forced to get a vaccine. And I think eventually what will happen with COVID-19, because we know the booster shots are going to have to be given. I think eventually what will happen is it will become like the flu vaccine. Because we know every year there's a flu vaccine and it is older people and people with invulnerable vulnerable from various illnesses are advised by their GP to get it because we know every year when we get flu for most people most healthy people get they'll get the flu they'll feel absolutely miserable for a few days and then they'll bounce back and they'll be fine but unfortunately we know that the, that the flu can and does kill people and that's why we have a flu vaccine and it's the same with COVID-19 and it will be the same uh, going forward uh, for sure OK I'm going to um Anne in Ballyvillea is that where I'm going? OK. Um,
6: yeah. Hi, hi, Anne. Could you I know what, t- now? My yeah. blood's boiling over that last texter. Over I the... was wondering, you know, the, people, the person that texted in last there to say she didn't know anybody about Roxy's and yeah. she didn't know this and she didn't know that or, or he, I don't know who it is. I, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I, I take it it's a she, but it could be a he. I don't know, but anyway. Yeah, we don't know. But at the know. moment, I was just wondering if they're not that worried about it. Yeah. You know, they can't catch it and all this kind of thing.
1: And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
6: Hospitals, if they're not worried about catching it, and just have a look around and see how many people are in hospital. Thank God the numbers have gone down. But how many is in intensive care? And just go up and have a look and help them if they're not afraid of catching it. That's a good point. Or if they think that they can't
3: catch it. Even just turn on the TV and look what's happening in India yes. and tell the people of India with this very very contagious strain of it, and of tell course. and tell those people that sure I'm fine. I'm in my forties and younger, I'm and I'm not going it. to get it. Yeah. 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 So was that brave
6: person not go and help? People go up and help the nurses watch these people if they're not worried about
3: getting it. Yeah, that, well, that was that the point. That's the point I made. I hope it stays fine for him or her, and that they yeah. never get it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Are and you, are, you, are, you, are you vaccinated?
6: I am. I got my first one. Yeah. Did you? And you're doing okay. Brilliant. Great. Great I don't to anyone. Yeah. It is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you.
3: I'm with you on that one. Okay, listen. Thank yeah. you for that. No problem. Stay safe. No bye bye. That's you Anne. Too. That's Anne in uh, Bali, Villan. Uh, somebody else actually got there. Who got their second vax? Did I see there? Uh, hi uh, Patricia, I got a second vaccine yesterday in Buttruth. I feel great. It was so well organised. I'm, I'm assuming that you were at your doctor's practice uh, there. We are going to be talking about the Eurovision in a couple of minutes, still getting in uh, calls on uh, that. Mag says, Patricia, I think the voting should go back to the old way. There was great excitement in the old days where you just went to each individual country for a vote and completely get rid of the uh, tell voting. Hi Patricia hope you're well. It's a pity Ireland didn't qualify for the Eurovision final last night but that's the way it goes. It's all politics in the game now. But Ireland should bring back Johnny Logan. He did win it three times and Ireland has the most win in the whole contest. So it's either that or pull out for good. It is a waste of time and money. Malta or Israel or Italy to win. They are by far the, the the best in the contest at the moment. Did you see Johnny Logan last night? It was great to see Johnny Logan. And it just shows the high esteem in which Johnny Logan is held. The fact that he featured in that little clip where they looked back at all of the previous winners. 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103
2: 103 The C103 Cork Diary.
1: With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme If you or anyone you know need Help in accessing non emergency and non medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. Kildallery
3: home bingo continues this week, and the snowball now stands at 200 euro. Books cost a fiver and they're on sale locally in Kildallery or in Thornhill's Opticians and Myers Max in Mitchellstown and Skibbereen Country Market. They are reopening on Friday, half past 11 until 1.30. Abbey's Drury Church Hall in Skibbereen. There'll be lots of great produce on offer like cakes, plants, veg and crafts and you're please asked to support. And Martin Milan and friends are climbing Karen tu- Caron Hill on Saturday the 12th of June. It's to raise funds for Mallow Search and Rescue. You can support them by donating to their GoFundMe page. All money raised will go directly to the Mallow Search and Rescue who of course
2: are a volunteer
3: service involved in the search and rescue of missing people.
2: Court Today on C103
1: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: Well, we were the Euro Kids. Eurovision was all we did. But what's another year without qualifying? Johnny O'Malley, our Eurovision correspondent, joins me. Did you see what I did there? The clever use I- of all the words. <laughs> Now I have to say I'm well. I'm got it for Leslie. Got it for Leslie. Now what everybody is saying this morning, listeners here, and I kicked it off because I said it as well. Was the staging just too complicated?
4: It was too complicated. It was unnecessary. It was OTT. It just it it didn't belong for for that song. And um, I think Leslie, that's not Leslie's style of performance, in my opinion. I think she'd have been, as I may suggest, standing with her guitar and singing or whatever, or just singing, you know, in general. It was, the whole thing was dated, it was OTT, and um, I think that that was her downfall. I think had she been allowed to sing the song just as singing the song, I I, I can't understand why RT would, um, you know, obviously this guy from Sweden who did the, the winning song, staged the winning song in 2015, um, did did the Irish song. Why was, like, I don't think he approached RT, it must have been RT approached him six years on, you know, to do something original that we've probably seen some at some point before. You know, it, it was just a and there must have been Irish people who have been unemployed due to COVID, like that would have experienced in staging, or, you know, that would have been qualified. Good as, point. Could have done a much better better job and point. that would have been more, like this is Pop Baby, that theatre group, they were due to worked with Leslie last year for the staging and you know why were they not available this year it's just the whole thing is just needs to be overhauled I don't blame Leslie at all I don't I mean even when she finished she looked very emotional and um you know, it must have been just a relief to have it done, and that it went okay for her because I'd say she was under severe pressure for the last, I suppose, eighteen months.
3: She and was three. running on a treadmill at threadmill. one point, and yeah, but she was. Hard enough when you're and not singing. She was. You could see she was almost getting out of breath, which then yeah. led her to sound a bit screechy. She's got a yeah. great voice, yeah, and she didn't do the song justice then because of it.
4: No, and not, and not not her fault. It was just it was way too much and totally. Um, you know, it it just it just it, it was it was wrong. The whole thing was wrong, and not, not her fault. I, I I don't blame her at all. She at the end of the day, she was there to do a job, and she had to go with what was you know what was what she had to do. You know. And, uh, okay, some
3: of the some of our listeners, uh, Esther says, wasn't our Johnny spot on about the Eurovision yesterday, wasn't it? I don't know. We were texting last night when it was on, and he was actually saying to me, "I hope I'm wrong." Um, <laughs> Esther said, "I actually felt sorry for her. She gave a powerful performance."
9: Yeah, but that's
4: that's the reaction today. She seems to have. There's a lot of empathy there for that. You know, she people realised. You know, this was out of her hands.
3: Hmm. Um, Esther's saying we, we need a big strong ballot or maybe a folk country style just to get through to the final of the competition uh, but I still I will still be watching it I've been watching it Esther said since Dana with all kinds of everything which was what 19, sure, yeah. 1970 wasn't it um, 1970 yeah. okay and then the, the, the re, there was some good songs though last night she was up against it in she, the there was, in, there was
4: Big competition, and uh, th- 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 that was the thing. I, again, you said the songs. Like, if if you were to just listen to them, she would have qualified last night. But from a performance perspective, there was there was much stronger in there. That was, you know, probably simple, staged easier, but came across better.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: And she had co- she had tough competition. We d- as I, we won't know until Saturday night whether she finished eleventh or 16th. You know, so that that's a, that's another factor to key into it.
3: They, they, re- they release it. Point. We don't know. They release it
4: after the after the after, result, after the, the final Because it, I mean, if they were to do it now, it just it can it can uh, affect the voting on Saturday night.
3: Okay, your standout songs from last night were any surprises? Well, Malta any
4: and Israel were superb. Yeah. You know, just extremely professional, very slick. Um, you know, good songs done well performed. Looking like looked simple. But it was it was very you know very well done. Um, it's it's tough to say what can happen on Saturday because again it, it's all down to um, the running order where where you're placing this, this 26 songs on Saturday night. So while somebody could have done very well last night, it would be the opposite on Saturday night. You know because people get confident and they you know they lose confidence. And you know there's 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 a lot at stake. Um the news for Saturday for to not, tomorrow night is that one of the Icelandic group has tested positive. They won't be in any of the rehearsals today. They uh, won't be in the rehearsal tomorrow and they won't be performing tomorrow night. It'll be a video recording.
3: Which they've already done.
4: Which they've done. So okay. that, that's tough on them, you know. But yeah. they'll be still... So, I mean... They they'll
3: could, qualify, though, surely. They'll
4: qualify, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, like, just say, for example, if they won, they're going to be receiving their prize in their hotel room. They're in They're in quarantine each in their own rooms in the hotel. Um, I saw a thing on, online earlier. And um, it's it's tough going, you know.
3: There's yeah. A, that's where they find themselves This is is COVID-19 Malta for the win for sure and failing that that girl Destiny surely has a massive international career now
4: Uh, Well deserving deserves uh, an international career just I mean her performance the vocals (laughs) number one were excellent but the whole the whole presentation was you you, you couldn't fault it you know and uh, blasting it out there you know what I mean and that it just shows that like, there's lots of that talent around Ireland, you know. There's just, there's, we have people in Ireland that could do that. And why are we not getting them out there, you know, to, to go and, and do that? No disrespect to Leslie, because Leslie can do it. If, if the was a stage response Leslie. But why not, you know, take what somebody has and walk with it and make the best of that, rather than bringing in a complete stranger to say, oh, we'll do it like this, you know.
3: And, and we're 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 celebrating 25 years since we last won. Yeah,
7: 1996.
3: And then you could really see the esteem that Johnny Logan is held in with that piece that they did <laughs> well, during the, during the interval.
4: That's right. I mean, he's huge in Europe, and I mean, he has his career is is built on Eurovision and um, his success, and he's like Netherlands and Belgium and you know Germany, and he's 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 gigging all the time, and he he a big. Um, He's a big career thanks to your vision, but he's, as you say, he's held in high esteem, and uh, it it it, it was, that was a nice little clip that they they did for you know the the, the few that they picked out, you know it it, it was well done and um, it was good.
3: I I actually thought the whole show from start to finish, and I thought that girl that comedy piece with the girl, you know, telling people about who win and who doesn't win. I Thought that was very funny, very good piece. Yeah, yeah. It was good, and the was, yeah. staging was superb
4: staging was superb and um, it, it looks, I mean, it, it looks fantastic, the, the whole thing, the lighting and everything. It's just, and it's so different for all different acts. And Ed Filiad, the the um, one of the presenters, she represented Netherlands in 1998 and 2005. Mm. And uh, she came fourth, I think, in 1998, but she didn't qualify in 2005 and uh, not 2005, 2007, I think it was. Sorry. And um, she's, she's a huge star in Netherlands. And, you know, it was very, the whole thing was very international. It didn't come across as Dutch.
3: No, you know, no, no, absolutely, it, absolutely. It, it and did, 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 anyway. did I spot a few Irish flags in the audience?
4: I believe there were the a <laughs> Irish flags, but do you see, you would have Irish people living in the of Netherlands. Course, of course, well, of course. And yeah. then you'd have, there's, there's probably been some people that have, um, you know, be there for whatever reason, work-wise or whatever, you know, that... Um, you know had had tickets and were able to travel or maybe you know probably based in, in Netherlands probably is the is the because people can you know to get out to get in there and get out you you needed there was a lot of protocol at uh, even say people that bought tickets last year um, they had first refusal on tickets this year. But yeah. again, there was, there, was, there was rules and regulations that people had to follow. So, um, And they
3: all were PCR tested before they went in and everyone had to have a negative test. Yeah. And, and, and it isn't the same Eurovision experience in that it's the social side, because, I mean, you know, you've been There's there.
4: No social, well, so the, the social side of Eurovision is <laughs> what made it for me over the years. You know, it's, it's a fantastic time. There's nothing. It's,
3: it's Back to very, your hotel.
4: Yeah, it's, it's hotel rehearsal back, press conference and stuff like that. There's just some few little bits, but there's nothing. Like, even the the welcome reception wasn't a reception. It was just a bit more kind of um, a socially distanced, um, welcoming people. And uh, that was it. You know, very it was a very low-key affair. With,
3: and even when they qualified last night, they couldn't bring them all up onto the stage. No, there's, yeah. there's none of
4: that. And they can't even, they can't go and congratulate each other because that's all... They, it, at the same time, they have to protect themselves. Yeah, yeah, and on this one, they're right. One delegation could be, could have
6: COVID. Yeah. yeah.
4: And they, they're risking themselves. So that's, that's, that, that's where they find themselves. And that's where we've all found ourselves over the last 18 months, I
3: suppose. And even Marty coming from Dublin, watching it on a TV screen, obviously. Yeah. As
4: far as I know, that that was the case. I thought he was there first. No, I no, no, as as I know. no,
3: he, no. He was in he Dublin. Was. He announced it at the at the very beginning. So yeah, I'm waiting to see what Graham will do for the BBC. Will he go out or will he st- will he st- do it from England as well? I,
4: it's probably he'll do it from some from, B, from yeah. London. Yeah, but, um, and I think that that's probably how um, down the line. That's probably how it will happen in years to come. You know, there there'll be a lot of cutbacks probably. uh, Okay, and
3: just very finally, some of our listeners are saying, that's it, we just can't win this competition anymore. Just pull out of it. Now, I know it's probably a very unfair question to you because you're a Eurovision nut. Um, Should should we hang in there? I think what
4: needs to happen is RTE needs to overhaul the whole thing. Um, We've got, I I think, you know, if we're not going to do something different and do something modern and something that's happening now, pull out, you know, if, unless you give it 100%. I don't know if they want to win, if it's just a case of participating. And if we qualify, if, if qualification is the, the be-all and end-all, that's not enough. You need to go to win. And, um, you know, I, I think unless we're going to give it 110% and say, right, this this is what, we you know, overhaul the whole the whole selection process, you know, and um, then if, unless they're going to do that, just withdraw you know, as much as I hate to say so there's There's no point in going in, like, you know, you know, shooting fish in a barrel.
3: Yeah, that's true. Know? That's true. That's true. But, and listen, we'll watch it on Thursday night and we'll watch it again on Saturday night, but it just, it's never the same... When your country isn't in it I have to say that I have to say that (laughs) Full uh, Go Malta Go Malta Malta. Okay Listen thanks We'll talk again on Friday So that we can take a a preview Of of what's going to happen On Saturday night But in the meantime Thank you for that Johnny And uh, uh, thanks uh, for joining us That is uh, Johnny O'Mahony Our Eurovision correspondent And we've closed our Twitter poll Asking should we withdraw Completely from the competition 48% of people think we should And 52% of people said No stay involved sure it's all a little bit of fun and it's a bit of a, of a distraction every May 1850 333 103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Let's take a break and turn our attention to gardening with Peter Dowdell
2: Court Today on C103 With John Cusack Insurances
1: Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie
2: This is the Court Today replay on C103
1: Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres.
2: C103.
3: And lots of questions in for Peter Dowdell, our resident gardener. Good afternoon to you, Peter.
11: Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm
3: very well. And I was just issuing weather warnings for tomorrow. So t- tomorrow is definitely not a day for the garden. Very wet, very windy.
11: Well, you know, I'm. Um, that's kind of good news for me for once because I'm waiting for a builder of all things, Tricia, and he can only come to me if it's raining because oh, he's, he's too busy outside. He's with so you. I'm, I'll be happy to see the rain tomorrow. <laughs> he's with but you But yeah, tomorrow. for the garden, we God, it's it's um, it's been a long, long drawn out start to the season. We really are just waiting for the weather to kind of not just dry up, but also warm up, aren't we?
3: Yeah, and I'm wondering, could could the weather be the reason for this? Joan contacted us uh, to say, uh, to query some seed packets she bought this year that are not producing plants. Now, the expiry date on is 2024, so they're not out of date, even though you always question with seeds plant them anyway um, now she said the varieties she's been particularly disappointed with was a tomato seed it only produced one plant a delphinium again she got one plant and a cosmos and sweet pea the seeds she saved herself from last August are actually far better what could be the reason there we've oh, lost Peter and I've lost John Paul he's, he's uh, we've lost Peter just as we were getting into it um, okay, we're going to see if we can get. Is he back with us? Or? Oh, I'm I back with you again. You're back. Yeah. Can you hear me now, Peter? Are you no. hearing me? No, Peter's not hearing me. OK, we'll get him on the phone uh, altogether. We try our very best to use technology, but it doesn't always work uh, with us. But I can while well, I'm waiting for Peter to come through on the phone. Um, I mentioned Pfizer may be producing vaccines in Ireland. Michal Martin, our teacher, has just tweeted that if, uh, uh, Pfizer have confirmed that they will be producing COVID vaccines here in Ireland. Not only will it be a $40 million investment, it'll create 75 new jobs. It's as I predicted at the Green Castle plant in Dublin but it'll put Ireland at the heart of EU's fight against the pandemic so certainly uh, good news there and that's just been tweeted by Michael Martin Peter's back with us we're going to the old traditional phone line are you there with this Peter?
6: I am indeed okay. I, don't All happens, right.
3: I don't know if you heard the question that I read out about seeds
7: no I, mean, no, I didn't okay. that
3: This day. is from uh, Joan and I was wondering, is, is it anything to do with the weather? She bought packets of seeds this year and they're not producing plants. Uh, she was disappointed with the tomato seed. It only produced one plant, the delphinia, again, one plant and also very f- poor result for cosmos and sweet pea. And she said the seeds that she saved herself last autumn are actually working out far better. Why would that be happening?
5: It
11: depends on i suppose the the seed quality of of what you got so if you, if your own seeds have have grown well uh and they're sown at the same time in the same conditions, then you would think it is something to do with the quality of the seeds that you got now the tomatoes um I would say depending the 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 tomatoes um what am I trying to say, would need to be sown indoors and it would re- it's really only during April and even up to now that I'd be sowing the tomatoes indoors because it does need the temperatures to warm up and what I was saying just before we got cut off, I don't know if you heard me or not, is that it, it's, we don't just need the weather to dry up at the moment, we need it to warm up. It's, it's been, I don't know what the statistics are saying, but it certainly feels much, much colder than we'd be used to in the middle of May um, So, everything is a bit slow. So, the tomatoes, I think, maybe possibly were done a bit too early, depending on when they were sown. But the others, now, she doesn't say whether the seed that she saved were the same varieties like Cosmos and Delphinium and and Lupin or whatever she said, but there, but um, or Sweet Pea. But if they were the same varieties and the same species and all treated in the same way, then you would say the quality of the seed. If not, it's like... You'd need to know a couple of things, like did she start them in seed trays? Did she sow them directly outside? So if you're sowing directly outside, which you could do with things like cosmos and sweet pea, um, uh, it really has been a bit too early and a bit too cold, and even one frosty night on that seed could have damaged them. So, However, if they were started indoors in a seed tray, that wouldn't be the case. So it could just be the quality of the seed. Delphiniums would certainly need to be started in little seed trays or in pots uh, indoors. And they 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 will take a while to germinate, and they won't be flowering till next year. So it could just be time with the delphinials, but the others you'd expect to see them up by now, all right?
3: Okay. Then Seamus emailed, and John Paul says he sent the email with the photos attached onto you, and. Seamus says, could you please ask Peter what is the name of the plant in the attached, attached photos? It was given to my wife by her mother about 10 years ago. It never flowered or did anything in all that time that we've had it. Any information would be gratefully appreciated and okay. sent on the pictures to you.
11: Okay, well the the photographs are lovely photographs actually of an amaryllis plant. I, right?
3: I, yeah. I See, I have them in black and white here. It looks like amaryllis.
11: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well it's a gorgeous red one which you're not seeing but it, it's... Um it's, it's lovely, but the thing with amaryllis, they flower, I don't know when that picture was taken, obviously more than 10 years ago, um, and probably I'm going to say at Christmas time. There's two stems coming up from it. it actually looks like there's two bulbs in the one pot. Um, so what you need to do, my advice there would be if you take the bulbs out of the pot, uh, where are we made, Just take them out of the pot now, If provided the bomb bulbs, uh, if they haven't done anything in 10 years, if they haven't flowered in 10 years, it's one thing haven't done anything like even produce leaves, well then I imagine the bulbs are gone and they're finished uh, and nothing is going to come of it. But if they have been producing leaves and if the bulbs are okay and you'll know they're okay just by touch, Trish, so if they're firm and, and like a fresh onion, if you like, in touch, uh, then they're fine. If they're soft or anything like that, but they're they're gone. Um, but provided they're good and they've been producing leaves and just not flowers and the bulb is firm to the touch, uh, I would take it out of, of the pot that it's in now and I, as I say, there's two bulbs in that pot, give them a pot each about the same size as what the pot is in now uh, and come let's say end of October uh, I would plant that bulb out again into that pot leaving about a third to a half of the bulb over the soil level so you're really only burying the, the bottom half of the bulb in the soil Um give it somewhere that warm, again, good, warm temperatures indoors, because it's the temperatures that will stimulate the, the amaranth into growing, but what you'll need to do, is, the fact that it hasn't been flowering, it needs to build up its reserves of potassium and phosphorus, so that you'll find that in tomato food. So you use a good quality tomato food, like the Nature Safe, which is the Galway made one with the, with the seaweed in it, which is a really, really good, rich tomato food, uh, and that will start to build up the reserves of potassium and phosphorus. It may not do it quick enough for flowering this Christmas but certainly if you do that you will definitely have flowers on it for next
3: Christmas. Yeah and I've got one that's been going for years I, I always take it out, I let the leaves on it, I, I move it, I leave the leaves grow then I cut back the leaves and then I put it in the dark for a couple of weeks and then take it out and
11: yeah, sorry, I comes. should mention that, the dark, you, the dark is like uh, and then and then warm temperatures to yeah. stimulate the growth. And it's actually. great for
3: children to grow, I think, because it produces that gorgeous flower as well. So
11: it's, and, it, and it does it so quickly, it goes yeah. in front of their eyes. It's beautiful, yeah.
3: it's beautiful. OK, Jackie then has sent me on a picture, this is by WhatsApp, so I know you haven't received this. It's something she calls a crazy tree. Strange name, but she said it's called a crazy tree. which well, she said it's called a virus crazy tree. It's an indoor tree. Do you know it?
11: virus did she say crazy trees yeah
3: she says I've got two virus crazy trees indoors both in the same space one is dropping its leaves
11: no, what causes no, this no, do that you know name, that is... okay so if you send me on the picture I'll I, well, I, we
3: the will pictures. yeah that's, that's what we will do hi could you ask Peter please how do you care for Angel's Wings plant I got a gift of it and I don't know anything about it thanking you it,
11: Angel wings again. Uh, there's, a, there's a plant called Dodecathion named angel wing angels wings, which I, I'm guessing here is, is what they're they're talking about. And the Dodecath the Dodocassian, It's a lovely plant. There's not that much in terms of care. It's an outdoor plant. It will do fine outside. Uh, if if it gets too wet, it can rot away. I found over the years. So just make sure that the base of the plant, where where it's meeting the soil, put a good layer of grit and gravel around there, so it's not sitting in damp soil. Give it a sunny enough position, and and maybe if it's getting a very cold during the winter, put something like fleece over it. It'll, it'll be dyed back; it's, it's herbaceous, so it'll die back for the winter months anyway. But if it's getting extremely cold, maybe put put a bit of straw or a bit of extra mulch around it just to protect it. But really, the the, the it's it's pretty easy. It's a lovely, lovely plant. You can also equally, of course, you could grow it in a pot long term, uh, and again, just make sure that you have a bit of gravel around the base so that it doesn't rot off.
3: Marie in for Moy advice from Peter please what can I use on my beach hedging at the base that would be safe I'm trying to kill off briars that is growing throughout the hedge
11: I hate to say that I have no magic wand on that except just getting down there with um, uh, getting down your hands and knees and, and a shovel and a good pair of gloves and do it by hand it really is the only thing that the uh, that that's going to do it safely because any of the weed killers aren't aren't particularly safe to be using. They're not good for, for surrounding wildlife, but equally they won't be good for the beach hedge. Um, so, so. But the, the the good news is, if you like, that uh, you can cancel the gym membership, get out there uh, and pull out <laughs> briars. There's great great physical workout, but also it's also. And I, I don't underestimate this. There's great. Uh, it's very rewarding. Is I mean, I mean that it's a really rewarding job to do when you see the benefits of, of, of the results of what you've done. So I don't have a magic wand in terms of something easy to easy to, to spray on it, uh, but but don't underestimate the value of getting out there and doing it by hand.
3: Mary has a question. I planted seeds and I transplanted them out, but they've all been eaten by greenfly. I'm just wondering, would it be possible that the greenfly was in the compost? As the very same thing happened to me last year, I'm wondering, should is there a special compost I should be using for transplanting seeds? I've been using the board compost.
11: No, I wouldn't think that the the there's greenfly in the in the compost, no, or, or the larvae of Greenland in the compost. No. They're just coming from surrounding areas. Uh, and the, the little seedlings, she shouldn't say what they are, but little seedlings are uh, would be a lovely, easy and soft food source for them. Um the Borgnemona or any of those shop bought compost will be sterilized, so there won't be any any pathogens or any insects in them. Now uh, I would say the best thing to do in that situation, now, if the soil is particularly damp around those seedlings, that can often uh, attract flies and aphids in the first instance. So make sure you're not over-watering at the same time. Um, uh, if you can get a product called Grazers, Grazers is a range of products. They're made in the UK and they're all based on calcium. And to use their own kind of marketing terminology, you're helping the plants to help themselves. So what the Grazers range of products do is, if you water them on the plants, there's one for aphids that's for the, the cabbage white butterfly, and it, but it's also very effective in preventing aphids. It, it doesn't kill any aphids, but it makes the plant that you apply it to, uh, the calcium makes it completely unpalatable to the aphid. So it's a great way of maintaining that natural balance in the garden. In other words, not, they're not killing anything to ensure a wide variety of species in the garden, which is essential nowadays. Um but you're keeping your seedlings safe. So that's what I would go and look for. But the the short answer to the question, or the the long way to getting to the short answer to the question, is no, I don't think it was in the compost.
3: And this is from Anne from Bantry. Two hebes, the right-hand side one, was cut down recently. She sent me on a picture. It was cut down recently because it was too big. There is still a lot of new shoots, though, at the base. Can I dig it up now and put it into a pot so that I could put it into new ground in the autumn?
11: I'd say to you on that and the first thing is when he, hebees are, are one of these plants a bit like lavender in that they're prone to getting very leggy and woody and when you cut it back hard it, you, yeah, it, it won't necessarily die because you are getting green from down low but it'll take a long long time for it to if ever to, to go back to the fabulous shape that it was um, you can lift it and put it into a pot yes but definitely not at this time of the year so they're all all plants are actively growing at the moment they're, they're producing leaves producing um flowers, they're all doing their thing at the moment. So they need every millimetre of their root system to stay alive and to make that happen. So the time to take it out of the ground will be during the winter months, Um, not at the moment. During, let's say, November, December, January, you could lift that hebe out of the ground and put it into a pot. And it it should move quite successfully then, but definitely not at the
5: moment.
3: What is the correct mix of bluestone and washing soda in four and a half gallons of water for the prevention of potato blight?
11: You know, I don't know, and I apologise for not knowing. But uh, stone which is copper sulphate, can be sold in various different forms. So it actually depends on. And I'm not a chemist, I, I'm afraid, so I, I can't, uh, I can't answer it accurately. Um, it depends on where you buy it and the strength of the copper sulphate it. I would suggest ringing where you got it and asking, and they'll be able to advise better than I can on that one. Um, I know copper sulphate that you buy in a garden centre, which is, is is labelled as copper mixture. It's a white powder, but that's copper sulphate. I know the rate to mix that is 35 grams to one and a half litres. So perhaps you can work from that into four and a half gallons. Um, but but that's the one you buy in the garden centre, which may be a different strength to the one that you, you would buy as bluestone.
3: OK, can you cut Red Robin now, says the listener?
11: You could cut it now, but uh, two things to bear in mind with that is, if you cut it now, you're losing, you're you you've sacrificed any growth that it has put on this year already. However, if it's getting woody or leggy, it's probably better to do it now, which is a bit late rather than not at all. Um, the the thing to bear in mind though is, if it's a hedge or even if it's a mature, if it's a mature shrub, just keep an eye that there aren't any birds nesting in it at the moment. If it's a hedge, it's illegal to cut it now under the Wildlife Act, so uh, don't cut it if it's a hedge. Wait till September, the end of September. Um, if it's one off, can't you? Can but just do people to t- have a quick look for birds nesting in it first.
3: And somebody else wants to know is it too late for potting hedge cuttings?
11: No, not at all. Uh, I, w- I wonder do they mean taking the cuttings? I'm,
3: I'm wondering as well because the predictive yeah. text, yeah, I'd say that's what it is. I
11: imagine it's taking the cuttings, yeah, and you're probably a bit early as opposed to a bit late. It's probably, probably like you're taking cuttings from this year's growth, and most hedges won't have put on a substantial amount of this year's growth yes particularly as we were talking about the low temperatures earlier so probably a bit earlier probably better to wait till June or even July uh, if it's just potting perhaps they mean from going from a small pot into a big pot and again that's fine to do at this time of the year yeah
3: OK and could you please ask uh, Peter this is Bally Hey when is the best time to sow a cherry blossom tree and you have about 10 seconds to answer
11: well most, most trees nearly all trees nowadays are grown in pots as opposed to bare roots so if you're grow, planting a pot grown cherry tree or any tree you can plant them pretty much 52 weeks of the year okay. if you're planting them now you keep it well watered if it's bare root
3: it's going to be the winter one Okay have a good week we'll chat next Wednesday
11: Thanks very much. Thanks for doctor.
3: that. That's, uh, Peter Dowdell, the Irish Gardener dot uh, com. That's where I leave you for today. And thank you for people who are texting in to say they got their first vaccine yesterday. Somebody said in Mallow, excellent, feeling great uh, today. And we're also hearing from others who were on their second vaccine and doing well. Okay. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10 to the Lambert Very good afternoon.
2: Court today on C103
1: with Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.
7: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy.